so good to uh, be together. As I said again, I say it all the time, but it really is. There is nothing like being together in our worship, in person. Just something so powerful about that and so encouraging about that. Uplifting. Uh, and it's good to see your smiling faces and smiling eyes. And uh, to uh, just share the experience uh, physically. Praise the Lord as we're in His presence. This morning, uh, we're looking in Psalm chapter 40, Psalm 40, and verses 1 through 10. There are additional verses at the end, four or five more at the end um, of that psalm, but we'll just do 1 through 10 this morning. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10 is our text, and as I read, I discourage you to read in your own Bibles or follow along in your Bible app, or just listen if you really don't have something in hand, but I encourage you to read along. It always helps to retain what we're hearing when we read it. And so I just encourage you to do that. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. We have no reason. And that's why when we get together, we follow uh, what we see so often in the Psalms, not just Psalm 40, but others as well, where the psalmist declares that he will declare the righteousness, the faithfulness, the goodness of God in the assembly, in the gate great congregation, when God's people are together, He will declare, whether it's Himself or corporately together with one voice, declaring the greatness of God. It reinforces and reiterates the truth that there is nothing quite like in-person worship. I know I said that last week, but there isn't, and I love it, and the Lord loves it too. My question this morning as we start, two questions. The first one is, how big is your worship? How big is your worship? Now, when I say that, I guess I should maybe clarify and just say, because I don't mean, is it loud? Is it crazy? And you're showing off and what? I, no, it's, it's not that. How big is your worship? Meaning, how expansive is it? You see, we have this tendency, and we often, I, I think we can run into this, where we can compartmentalize our worship. And not even realize it. Because our mind, and, we, and our lives are busy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things on our mind. We're concerned. We're worried. We, there's a lot happening. But we can compartmentalize. 
We get up and we say we do things like devotions. And again, I, I don't have an objection per se to that, but devotions should be, your devotion should be all day. I know what we mean by that, but devotions fall short of what God expects of us. He expects a devotion, a worship that, as Pastor Dan, myself, and others, we've always said here, our worship is 24-7. It's all the time of the one true God. Always perpetual in our lives, we worship God, not just in our devotions, not just Sunday morning at 10.30 or 8.15 if you come to the early service, or in the evening prayer time with your family or whatever you may do, your custom is. And you can compartmentalize without even thinking. Because worship is everything we do and all we do directed at God and our adoration of God. Now, that's the wind going through my microphone. Wow. How big is your worship? Just, you can think about that. That's all. The second question is, do you worship with conviction? Do you worship with your conviction? Now, when I say that, I mean, just by definition, you understand what conviction is. It's that strong, firm, grounded belief and knowledge that you know God in your worship. You know for yourself, nothing will change that. You are just, you're, you're convinced to the core. And your conviction drives you and compels you. It pushes you to worship God and do what you know is the absolute truth. There is a God and He loves me and I have conviction. Now, in this psalm, we have some reasons. There, and, the, and the first thing we'll look at is that there are, there's a reason for the conviction to, wor- to worship God. To have that firm belief that we must worship God and God alone in all that we do, all day, everywhere. There's a conviction. Listen to the first verse. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. If there is anything as a starting point, If there is anything that should give you conviction, a sure, grounded confidence and faith and belief that you ought to worship God and that there is a God in the first place, it's that you waited. You called out at some point. God heard you. As a child of God, you know this to be a truth in your life experientially, but also just theologically. When you called out in faith, God heard you. Before you were a Christian, you called out, God touched you, and you were saved. When you are a believer, when you are a child of God, there are those moments you wait patiently for the Lord, and you're waiting. God, where are you? What's going on? I need your help. And all of a sudden, God hears you. He hears you. And that's a reason for our conviction. The reason for our conviction is that God heard us. Another rendering, it's amazing, another rendering of the Hebrew of this verse that says, I waited patiently for the Lord is this. Waiting, I waited. I want to say that again. Think about that. Waiting, I waited. Oh, that's a lot of fun, isn't that? (laughs) Waiting, I waited. What'd you do? Well, what'd you do two years ago? Well, I waited and I, I waited. Waited and waiting, I waited. While waiting, I waited. And you can keep saying that over and over again. And, and some of us are very familiar with that. I am, you are too. And, 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 and there are moments in our lives where, and even for me, there are some things right now in my life where I feel like I'm waiting and I'm waiting to hear God. And I, I haven't heard it for a long time about something. And there are some of those things in my life and in your life too. And you're waiting and you're waiting for God. 
God, where are you? And it seemed to David that God wasn't hearing after a certain amount of time. It may have been a long time for David. I don't know how long. Now, I know for some of you, because we've talked about this and we've prayed about this together, that we have prayed for the salvation for people that we love, our loved ones, to come to know Jesus. And waiting, we wait. And waiting, we wait. And then for some of us, we know the experience too, that while waiting, we waited, all of a sudden God hears. And something happens in that time. God heard us at the right time. God did hear me, the psalmist says, because not only did God hear him, but the second reason for his conviction to worship with just all out, all in attitude and approach is that in verse 2 and 3, God helped me. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And we'll touch on that in a second too. But God helped me. It's not it's as if it's not enough. We know that God heard because he helped. We asked and he took ear and all of a sudden he took action and he did something on our behalf in our distress or in our need or in our, the moment of, 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 of longing that we might even had for something from him. So there's a conviction that was based on personal experience of who God is and what he has done in his life. I called out, I waited, and while waiting, I waited, and then God heard me, and he helped me. Isn't that every one of us? There was a point in our lives where we called out, and we were at the bottom of the barrel. We realized, or we were in the gutter, or wherever it was, we were in the lowest of lows, and we realized after everything we tried, and it, the Holy Spirit touched us, and we knew that without God, there was nothing but darkness and lostness, and we called out. And maybe for some of us, we called out long, I don't know. And we called out again and then really called out. And all of a sudden, God hears and he touches us. And he heard me. He helped me. And he lifts us out of the garbage. And he puts us on a solid place. And he cleanses and cleans us all up. He showers us with his goodness and his love. This, this is what I was. This is who I am because of what God provided for me through his son, Jesus. I was in that pit. I was in the slime of sin and all the stuff that's involved with sin and all that lostness and darkness. And all of a sudden, this is who I am because of what God provided. He heard me, he helped me. I needed salvation. He gave me his son. Now, if there's something we can walk away, in verses 1, 2, and 3, the first part of 3, when we look at those two reasons for our conviction, that firm reason, that belief, knowledge of why we worship with conviction. It's that God heard me and that God helped me. But take this perspective. When you read the words of the psalmist and take it to heart and hide it there and hang on to it because we should gain this for ourselves. Here it is. God will hear and help me and he will in his time. Period. Have that perspective. God will hear and help you. And He will in His time. In the meantime, wait while you're waiting. And while you're waiting, you wait some more. Keep waiting and calling out to Him. Now, it's important in verse 3 to notice something. I want you to focus on something and note something in verse 3. 
The psalmist says, He puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, think about your own experience. Three seconds. With God. How you met Him. How He met you. And how He's done that over and over again. Think about your experience with God. He heard... He helped, and he put a new song in your mouth. Now think about this. That new song that he put in your mouth, and not in your mouth, but in your heart even, in your spirit, it replaced the song of hopelessness. It replaced the song of sadness. It replaced the song of fear. And every other negative thing you were singing about, it replaced it. It was replaced with a song of joy. It was replaced with the song of hope that he put in your mouth. It was replaced with the song of this amazing, unexplicable, or inexplicable, I should say, confidence in God who is always with you. And even while you're waiting, while you wait, he hears you and will answer in the right time. It's a new song. We were singing about that today. Even when it's all garbage happening around you, If I could put it that way. And it's cruddy and it's yucky and it's disconcerting. And you can worship and have that confidence because there's a new song because you're standing on a firm place. And that firm place is Jesus Christ, the rock of your salvation. This is a reason for the conviction we have in worship. But also notice, and just the second point today, the results of worshiping with conviction. Not just a reason. But when you worship with conviction, there are results in your life, you will see that happen around you. Verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, and the psalm says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Well, what are they seeing and hearing? The new song, your life. That is now declaring that goodness of God. That while you waited on the Lord and you called out to Him, He heard you and helped you. And you are the evidence of someone who was helped supernaturally by God and transformed by the power of His Spirit and His Word, not you yourself. It is a powerful thing and it becomes magnetic when people see that in your life. They not only see it, they sense it. They're drawn to that. And you know what? So that the result is, is that souls are won over to God. Now, I don't know God's timing. I don't know how he does it all the time because it's powerful, mysterious. I'm not God, but he does it by his spirit. And he brings people to himself and he uses us when we're worshiping with conviction. It's a result. Because dynamic worship is always demonstrative. Now, that, uh, listen, don't take my words and twist them or make them something else. When I say they're demonstrative, and we use that word, it doesn't mean you're all like crazy and you're pumped up and you're jumping and running around. That's not what I'm talking about. You can be just as demonstrative. This is demonstrative. Looking up and having a tears just running down your face. That's demonstrative. Doesn't matter what the demonstration is like, if I could say it that way. But you will, it will manifest. It will show in your life, in your worship, in your lifestyle. There will be something that shows that you are worshiping God with conviction. Now listen, we're not perfect. We can still worship with conviction. But we have to deal with things. I know I deal with, 
with my own attitude sometimes. I deal with my own shortcomings, my sins in my life, and I go to God and He hears me, praise God, and He sets me back on the, uh, on the firm footing again. He does that. But listen, it's not about that. I need attitude adjustments. I need, you know, whatever. I need adjustments. Let's just put it that way. But when we worship with conviction because we know that there is still something there as imperfect as we are. Christianity is not about perfection. It's not. It's about God saving us and making us who He wants us to. And it's about process. Others see it. They hear it. You love God. I mean, the the greatest way to demonstrate that there's dynamic worship in your life is that you love God by obeying Him. And you love others as a result. You obey God. This is how we know. 1 John repeats that over and over again. And Jesus Himself said, this is how you love me and you obey my commands. You want to love me, you obey my commands. That means you submit to Him as Lord. He's not just your Savior who helps. He's your Lord. He's your Master as well. Dynamic worship is demonstrative, but dynamic worship is dedicated to God only. If it wasn't dedicated to God only, other souls wouldn't be drawn to that. Because there's a lot of worship of a lot of other things, whether it's with conviction for a season or not, and it changes in all those different things that are worshipped or people or things, they change. But our worship of God with conviction is demonstrative, but it's dedicated to God only. Our worship doesn't go anywhere else. It is constant. It's regardless of the situations in our lives. Why? Because God does not change. He was good yesterday. He'll be good today, tomorrow as He is good today. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, even though everything changes. Listen, dynamic worship has to be dedicated to God only because our worship has to point to God and not to our worship. I'm going to repeat that again. Our worship has to point to God and not to our worship. Now, I'm going to take a little jab at myself and other pastors and whatever, because I'm in that company, okay? But as a Christian, listen, you are not going to draw people to Christ if your worship is about the worship. If it's about the lights and the smoke and the razzle-dazzle and the volume and the charisma that someone can have and whatever, it's not going to work. You know why? Because preaching, worshiping, teaching, whatever you do, leading your family is not about performance. That word cannot be part of our vocabulary. God sees right through that. I shared in the first service, and I will share again. I had an experience at the Providence Rescue Mission about a year and a half ago. And I hate, I, I hate to say this. I really, and I, I almost do, I really have a hard time saying this, but I have to say it to make my point. Because it's true. And I was approached by a man. And you know, of course, after we, we deliver our message, you have people coming up, they want to ask you questions, and you have like six minutes before they run to dinner, right? And this young man came to me, and he's talking to me. He wants to receive Christ, and so on and so forth. We have a conversation. And he asked me some questions, and in that conversation, he just said something that broke my heart but convicted me as well. He said, listen, I want to tell you something. There are so many preachers and people that come here and they preach, and all they're doing is performing. I can see right through it. I can see right through it. They're just doing it to do it. And they're trying to be polished and perfect and all that. And I can see right through that. Listen, these people can sniff it out. You know why? Because they know how to do it themselves. 
You know why? Because I know how to do it too. And we can sniff out a performance versus true spiritual worship any moment of the day unless we're not in the spirit. If I could say it that way. It's not about performance. I never think Peter, when he was preaching, or they were singing in the prison, as, as, and, and, and Sil- Paul and Silas, they were not worried about how they sounded. Peter didn't care what people thought. He didn't have a 64-point perfect theological outline. It was the power of God. There was conviction. They knew that they were heard and they were helped. And they preached about it. And it was not performance. It was power of God. And it wasn't polished words. In fact, Paul said that. I didn't come with you with eloquent words. And then we take Paul's sermons and we have to make them perfect 44-point outlines and all that. Nothing wrong with that. I took homiletics too. I get it. Listen, you say it. When there's conviction and it's the truth, it will penetrate the hearts of men because it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God is behind it. It doesn't mean we don't take care to study and put things together and rehearse for our praise services. No, we do that. We do our best. God wants that. Oh, brothers and sisters, my friends, wherever you are, listen, Christians, it is not about that. It's got to point to God and not ourselves or our abilities or the show. Now, I see our time, but I have to say this. In Acts 16, as I mentioned, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. You can read the story in Acts 16, while they're there, what's going on. They're in prison for being representatives of Jesus Christ. And they're in prison. And something happens, and it's midnight when most of us are sleeping, and Paul and Silas start singing. They start singing and worshiping God and praising Him. And it's, they can't help themselves. They're, they're worshiping through their preaching. They're worshiping through their love towards all people by declaring the truth. And then now they're worshiping God by, by their praise, and they're singing in the prison in the jail cell. And something happens. There's an earthquake that happens, and, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know if you ever noticed this, But in verse 26, you can write this down and you can read this over and over again in verse 26. And it says in verse 26 in chapter 16 that while they did this, it says, everyone's chains fell off. Oh man, that's a whole other sermon. Lord, help me stay on track. Everyone's chains fell off. Not just Paul and Silas. Even those around them who didn't know Jesus and who the Lord was, their chains fell off. Now, I don't know what happened when they left and walked out that gate and if they came to know Jesus or not. But man, that guy that was keeping watch, he got freaked out because he's in trouble. He, his responsibility, he didn't fulfill it. Everyone's escaping and he took out his own sword and he was ready to fall on it because he knew that that was going to be the outcome anyway. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, everyone's chains fell off because that's what happens when there's dynamic and there's genuine spirit-filled spiritual worship that's happening and they didn't care if they bellowed it out or what it was they connected to god no matter what they did and god's power broke through everyone's chains fell off and the result was there were people that came to jesus at least a person souls are one Now, I already alluded to this, but very quickly. There's one more result that I'll touch on of worshiping with conviction. If you work with conviction, I mean, if you worship with conviction, your worship will be spiritual. And I got ahead of myself a little bit. It will not be performance-based. It will not be, it will be spiritual. It will be God-ordained. It will be God-inspired and empowered. Listen, it's not worship 
is not about a superficial love for God, but a deep personal adoration. And again, people can sniff that out. They can sniff it out. It's also not about a specific place. You don't have to be right here in these walls. You don't have to be in your, as Christians love to say, my prayer closet. I love that. Anyway, to go and hide in there. I, I get it. You, you don't have to be, you can pray anywhere, anytime to your God who hears you and helps you, and you can do it with conviction. Verse 5 through 10 displays this because of what's going on. Listen to what he says. It's coming from his spirit, it's, and it covers all the bases. I'm not going to read the whole thing because of time, but many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Write us, speak and tell of them. They, could, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but my ears have been pierced. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And here's the spiritual part. Then I said, whoa, wait a minute. Sacrifices, all that ceremony, all that, nope. That, it's all good, it had its place, but that's not what it's about. Then, verse, then I said, here I am. I have come. Not my stuff that I can do. And I have come. It's spiritual worship. I, then, I, then I said, I have come. Here I am, God. It, and he says, it is written about me in the scroll. It's documented. I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. It's not just something I spot off. It's not just in my mind. I desire to do it, God. It's the real deal. It's all of me. Here I am and I really want to do it. Oh man, it's such a struggle for me to say that when I read the psalmist wants that because sometimes I don't want to do it. Oh sure, in my mind, but man, deep, I'm like, ah. So help us, Lord, to do what the psalmist did and say, here I am, I've come. And let it be recorded of us that we desire to do God's will and that this law is in my heart. And then he proclaims all these things. Listen to what he proclaims. You're righteous. You are faithful. You are salvation. Your love is great. You are truth. And this list in these following verses acknowledges, acknowledges this one truth that is so important that keeps us humble. That I am not any of those things apart from God and without. Back to verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth. This causes us to sing, to celebrate, to live our lives in obedience to God, to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and to celebrate who He is and what he has done with us, in us, and for us. Are you worshiping with conviction? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul and Samuel, there's a story about Samuel and Saul, and they're supposed to make an offering, and Saul is getting impatient about the sacrifice, and Samuel's supposed to come, but he makes it, and Samuel comes and rebukes him and says, listen, man, it's not about the worst sacrifice. It's not about that. It's about your heart, man. It's about obedience. Obedience is better, he says, than sacrifice. Oh, sacrifice comes with obedience. Don't get me wrong. 
But obedience is first. And he who disobeyed, he had to wait. That was more important. And his spiritual state is impatience. He took matters in his own hands. And Samuel says, oh man, obedience is so much better than sacrifice. It's so much better. The idea of worshiping the Lord. And I want to get this into you, into your heart, before we close in prayer. The idea of worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth comes from Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And you're very familiar with this, a lot of you. And in that conversation, there's a, conver- there's a discussion. The woman, she, she wants to talk about worship with Jesus. Kind of interesting, given her life. And, and yet, she was wanting to worship God. And there's a debate about where to worship. And she says that, that the Jews worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship at Mount, Mount Gerizim. And Jesus just revealed everything about her. And this made her so uncomfortable that she attempted to divert his attention from her personal life to matters of religion. And Jesus refuses to be distracted from his lesson on what true worship is. And he got to the heart of the matter and he says in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. Spirit and truth. And the overall lesson about worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth is that worship of God is not to be confined to a single geographical location or necessarily regulated by the temporary provisions of Old Testament law. Thank God for that. But anyway, with the coming of Jesus, of course, the separation between the Jew and the Gentile was no longer relevant in worship of God, nor was the centrality of the temple in worship. You don't have to be at New Hope Chapel. You don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to truly worship God in spirit and truth. It's not about that anymore. With the coming of Christ, of course, all of God's children, they gain equal access to God through Him. Praise His name. Worship becomes a matter of the heart, not just external actions. And it's directed by truth rather than ceremony doesn't mean there can't be ceremony. I'm not saying that. But it's directed by truth, not ceremony. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Moses sets down for the Israelites how they are to love their God. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Our worship of God is directed by our love for Him. Amen? And as we love, so we worship And this idea of might in Hebrew, it indicates totality. All of our strength, everything about us, all of our, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But everything about us, all of our abilities, all of our, I'm missing the word, sorry. And Jesus expanded this expression in Mark chapter 12 and Luke 10, and he he extended it to say mind and strength. And to worship God in spirit and truth, necessarily involves him loving him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of it. So here it is. True worship must be in spirit, as Jesus said. And that is, it's engaging the whole heart. And unless there's, and I don't like this word because sometimes it's misused, but I'm going to use it. Unless there's a real passion for God, which God gives you in the first place, There is no worship in spirit. 
At the same time, worship has to be in truth, as Jesus says. And that means that it is properly informed. Your worship has to be properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. It can't be. Both are necessary for satisfying and God-honoring worship. You need them both. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow, overly emotional experience. Listen, I'm serious about this. And it's the truth, I'm telling you. It's going to be overly emotional and it could be compared to a high, if you will. It doesn't mean that I don't feel anything in worship. It doesn't mean you don't feel anything in worship. I love it when I feel something in worship. God engages all of us and of us, how who we are, including our emotions and our feelings. Of course he does. But as soon as the emotion is over and when the fervor cools off, so does the worship sometimes if it's just that shallow and it's not informed. It can happen very quickly. Truth without spirit, and here's the other side, truth without the spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter with God that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. Oh man, that is not, can I just say it? And I, that is not fun worship. I'll leave it at that. The best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God informed by Scripture. So, the more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate Him, the deeper our worship is. And the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. How big is your worship? Do you worship with conviction? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that you see through it all. You're wanting our heart. You're wanting all of us. Lord, I pray that we would worship you with conviction because we have come to know you with all of our faculties and especially in our heart of hearts and in our spirits. Lord, I pray that as we worship you in spirit and truth, that you would be glorified and our appreciation of you would grow and that others would be drawn to you because we can declare that we called out to you, you heard us and you helped us and we pray that as you draw others through our worship of you, they too can say, I called out, God heard me, and he helped me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.